oh, may as well can I wish you a Merry Christmas because we are in that season of Christmas, that very joyful season. But I am super glad that you guys are joining us either in here or if you're joining us online because tonight we are going to get into one of the most fascinating, wild, bizarre, interesting stories, I think, in the entire Bible. And so, are you guys ready? Here we go. So it's about Balaam, and I'm going to give you a hint. It also has to do with his, his donkey here. So what happened is, we, we, uh, as I was mentioning in the historical minute here, that, that we have the Moabites, and the Moabites are deathly afraid of of God's people. And you know what? They should be, because God is blessing the Israelites, and he is protecting them. And as a result of these things, what we have is we have them not only being freed from slavery from Egypt. I mean, Egypt was the most powerful nation of that time, for sure. And God, we saw what God did to Egypt. And then now they're traveling up towards the plains where the Moabites are, and the Amorites are get taken out. And so the Moabites, I know a lot of ites here aren't there, but, but you have to understand they're watching Egypt fall. They're watching the Amorites, their neighbors, who are much powerful than they are, be destroyed. And they're thinking to themselves, wait, if, if they're coming along and they're coming to us, we're next. And so they are freaking out. And so Balak, who is the, the king of the Moabites, he actually contracts out this spiritualist, this diviner named Balaam. And he wants Balaam to place a curse onto God's people because he knows, and rightly so, he knows that if he were just to pick up his sword, he would be defeated because they have Yahweh, they have the true living God on their side. And so they think that, well, we can get Balaam to manipulate the true living God and to curse his own people. They actually thought that they could do that. And what they're going to learn the very, very real and hard way here tonight is that that's not how God works. So we're going to get into Numbers 22. And if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it. And as well, go ahead and um, actually, Jane, I have a question. Do you have verse 21 up there or is it just 22? All right, let's do 21. Perfect. So we're actually going to start here at 21 because, um, well, we're going to see what happens. So by the way, as you're turning to your Bibles, I should mention that I have an iPad up here and you can text in your questions. Although my daughter did say that um, I yell at you guys to text in questions. And so if I have ever offended you in asking for questions, I do apologize. I do. But it's certainly up here and hey, ask questions. So, so what happens is Balaam is, and we, I unpacked this a little bit last week, you can catch up and watch it on YouTube, but, but Balaam is contracted out by the Moabites to put a curse on God's people. And so what he, the, the uh, Moabites send princes to, to Balaam, where he's living, and they say, come with us and let's go do this spell, this curse onto God's people. And what happens is that Balaam says, well, let me go and ask the Lord, my God. Now, that's kind of an interesting way for Balaam to describe the true living God, Yahweh, as my God. And because Balaam was not really, I mean, he was a believer in God in as much as like he knew of God and thought that he could manipulate God. So he knew of God for sure, but he didn't really have the faith to fully understand who God was 
And he will learn that tonight. But they have this exchange back and forth where he says, well, let me go ask the Lord. And the Lord says, no, don't go. And then he comes back and says, ah, guys, I wish, I wish, but, you know, the Lord said not to go. And he said, well, let's ask again. You know, I mean, this is totally reminiscent of a teenager asking his parents if he can go out at night. Come on, mom. No. But mom. No. That's kind of reminiscent of this. And and actually, it's even more than that. It's, it's also, I think, Balaam trying to manipulate God in some way, where, where, where he's getting a bunch of money from the Moabites, and he's almost asking God, what are you going to give me if I don't do this? So he's kind of bartering with God. Again, the true living God, it's not how things work. And so they have this exchange, and finally God in verse 21 says, or I guess actually it's in verse 20, but um, God actually says, you can go. He says, uh, if the men have come to call you, rise and go with them, but only do what I tell you. So Balaam rose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the princes of Moab. So it's kind of interesting. He's saying, he's being summoned, go to curse God's people. And God is saying, no, don't go. And then he says, uh, well, let me try again. God, come on, please. And so God actually does allow him to go. And I want to make this point because that's what's going to happen in verse 22 here is that he goes and then look at what happens in 22. See why we couldn't just start in 22? But God's anger was kindled because he went. So wait, what? So God is saying, okay, fine, you can go. And then he goes and now God's mad at him. So what's up with that? Did God change his mind? Is God, is he inconsistent in his commands? Does he tell you one thing and then later get mad at you for doing it? No. See, if we look closely at the wording here, God kept saying, no, don't go, no, don't go. And, and it's not a commandment for him to, to go, but rather it's more of a test. You kind of, again, just like parents and teenagers trying to stay out late at night, is saying, but please, please. And you say, well, if you really, okay, fine, bye. And they leave and you're like, oh, well, that, that went south. That's kind of what happens here is that God is basically testing Balaam and Balaam's still gonna go. So tonight what we're gonna see is this constant tension here between whatever Balaam wants to do and God's will. Whatever Balaam wants to do and God's will. And there's gonna be this tension all throughout this passage, all right? So we even saw it earlier in this conversation where Balaam's saying, but please, but pretty please with the cherry on top, but dad, come on. He's having this conversation and God's saying no, but no, but no. And so he's leaving and God, his anger is kindled against him. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way of the adversary, of his adversary, meaning Balaam. Now he was riding on the donkey and his two servants were with him. So Balaam's leaving on a donkey now with two of the Moabite uh, princes here with the servants. And, or no, sorry, it's two of his servants. So this would have been uh, with Balaam's servants here. And this angel of the Lord appears and is standing in the way of them being on their path to, to Moab. On this path here, an angel of the Lord appears. Now, what's interesting is that later, this angel of the Lord is going to identify as the Lord because he's going to say, do what I say. And so this angel being I, the Lord, 
uh, a lot of commentators believe that this was, this was Jesus, uh, pre-incarnate Jesus in the manger. Uh, there's oftentimes appearances of an angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, and a lot of people believe this to be Jesus. So it could be, which would be really interesting, because now Jesus is appearing in front of Balaam to block him from traveling to, uh, to Moab. And then in 23, and the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. So the donkey sees the angel, but apparently at this point Balaam does not, because it says this, and the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field. So the donkey sees the angel of the Lord with the sword and says, well, I'm not going there. And so the, the donkey then goes to a field and veers off the road. And Balaam does not take too kindly to that, seeing that his donkey is not obeying him, not traveling the path that he wants to go. And so Balaam here does something for those of you who are animal rights activists. I'm just going to level with you. This is going to be kind of hard coming up. You ready? Because it says this, and Balaam struck the donkey to turn her into the road. So he starts beating his donkey. Incredible. Then in verse 24, then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. So once again, so they get back on the road and now they're between two vineyards with high walls. It's narrow. Once again, angel of the Lord appears with the sword. And then here's what the donkey does. She pushed against the wall, and when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So now this time it's personal for Balaam. Not only is uh, the donkey not wanting to go, but now is, is physically hurting Balaam as well. And so he struck her again. Way to go, Balaam. Then in 26, then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the left or to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So now there's nowhere to turn. So the donkey just stops and just lays down. And Balaam's anger was kindled and he struck the donkey with his staff. So again, just lots of, lots of violence towards animals tonight. And then in 28, then the Lord, and this is this is where it gets weird. Are you guys ready? Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. And she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? So God clearly wants to communicate to Balaam. And God wants to show Balaam, who's who, revealing the true nature of God that you're not one who can manipulate God. You're not one who can stand in the way of God. In fact, God can actually prevent you from doing things. And so, so what happens, so the donkey says, what have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And then in verse 29, Balaam said to the donkey, whoa, a talking donkey. No, he didn't say that at all. In fact, all he said, he actually just has a conversation, just like this is a normal everyday thing. Oh yeah, the donkey's talking. Well, let's have a conversation back. And it says, because you have made a fool of me, I wish I had a sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. And the donkey said to Balaam, I 
or am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? And again, he just has this conversation. He says, no. And I joke about him just being an everyday thing. Obviously, it's not an everyday thing, but rather he was so angry. and he was, he was just, he was seeing red. I mean, he didn't even recognize what was happening, really. He just is that angry towards the donkey. But the donkey is basically saying, hey, come on, this, I, I normally wouldn't do this to you, but something's going on here. And then in 21, then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. So clearly, whenever God reveals things in Scripture, sometimes there, there is this veil sometimes that are, that are over people where they just are unable to see things. And in this case, the, God was, gave the donkey the ability to see the angel, but not Balaam himself. And so now he can see clearly. And he can see that, wow, there is an angel there. And then look at his reaction whenever he sees the, the angel. And he bowed down and fell on his face. I mean, who wouldn't? <laughs> wouldn't you? If you saw that? And then in 32, And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, and then it tells the purpose of the angel. Behold, I have come out to oppose you because your way is perverse before me. You see, what Balaam is wanting to do here, Balaam is wanting to go to Moab, get bags of cash, and then put a curse on God's people. And whenever he even goes to God to try to get some more money or things or power or whatever, God says, no, don't do it. And you're only going to do whatever I say. And he goes, and there's this constant tension here between Balaam wanting to go to do his thing for his own purpose, to get lots of money and curse God's people, and God is just simply not allowing it. God has this protection, this blessing around his people that, that he is thwarting Balaam's plans here. His way is perverse before me. So then it says in the next verse, in 33, the donkey saw me and turned aside before me these three, these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, Surely now, surely just now, I would have killed you and let her live. <laughs> so how crazy is the angel with the sword was going to use the sword to kill Balaam if Balaam was going to continue on his way. And actually, what's really wild about this, what this angel of the Lord is saying here, is that why are you mad at the donkey? Why are you beating the donkey? Do you not realize the donkey actually saved your life? I mean, how crazy is that? That... It's because this donkey who's here that you're still alive. And then in 34, Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you stood in the road against me. Now, therefore, if it is evil in your sight, I will turn back. So this right here is a, what we have as a churchy word for confession of repentance. And Balaam actually ends up in this place. Notice that Balaam was not repentant when he was just talking with the Lord. Now, whenever he's talking with the Lord and the Lord said, no, don't go, he didn't listen to God then, did he? And, and all the times that God said, no, don't do this. Don't oppose me. Do not curse my people. He still didn't listen. But 
this finally got his attention. It's amazing what God will use to get our attention, isn't it? Um, Sometimes we will just be going through life here, and we will be going down a road that completely opposes God, completely opposes his will, and God in his graciousness will just allow us to do that oftentimes. He will allow us to go down this road of self-destruction, and yet other times, though, he does, he intervenes and blocks us from entering into those situations. And sometimes we get so mad, we say, God, why did this thing happen? How come this door closed? How come this thing that I really wanted to do, how come you didn't allow it to happen? And in this case, and sometimes in our cases in our life, well, it's because God has purpose. In fact, if we're doing something that's completely evil or selfish or sinful, and God stops that, that's actually for our good. But in those moments, how many times do we say, thank you, God, for closing that door? Hardly ever, right? But for Balaam, though, he did get to a place of repentance. He finally got to a place where he said, you know what? Clearly this God, this Yahweh, is, is different than all the other gods. See, in, in the ancient uh, Near Eastern myths of these other pagan gods, uh, take Baal, for example, or, or um, uh, Marduk, or some of these other guys, they, they, they're up in heaven, and they're, they're, they're very human-like. They, they're very um, petty, <laughs> for one. They're always fighting with each other, and, and they can be manipulated. They can be won over. And so Balaam as being this spiritualist here, um, again, now it would have been simply worship of Satan. Baal is not real in the sense that it's not like there's a Baal, but it is Satan. But, but for how they understood spirituality back then for Baal with all these pagan deities, that that's how he thought that they were. They were putty. He, they, they thought that he can um, change them, manipulate them, benefit from them. And so that's what he did. He thought, you know what, here's this, here comes the Israelites. Oh, their God is Yahweh. Oh, okay, I'll just take Yahweh and I'll put a curse on them. And what Yahweh is doing consistently in this narrative is revealing the true character and true nature of Yahweh that he's not like that. So he stops Balaam in his tracks. He gets Balaam's attention, doesn't he? And now Balaam is at a place of confession. And now he's even at a place where he's saying, you know what? I'll even go back. Because ultimately there's just not enough, at this point for Balaam, there's not enough money in the world to get him to go. I mean, if, if all this has happened so far and he almost died by traveling on this road, there's not enough money in the world to get him to continue going. He says, so if it's evil in your sight, I'll turn back. But then in 35, and the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, no, go with the men, but speak only the word that I tell you. So here in 35, the angel identifies as the Lord. And that's where the commentators would suggest that it's Jesus, the second member of the Trinity here. Only do what I tell you. So Balaam went on with the princes of Balak. And then in 36, when Balak heard that Balaam had come, he went out to meet him at the city of Moab on the border formed by the Arnon at the extremity of the border, and Balak said to Balaam, did I not send to you to call you? Why did you not come to me? And am I not able to honor you? So he took a few days before he even left from wherever Balaam was to come to Moab. 
And remember, in those few days, he was bartering with God. So he's basically saying, hey, what gives? I mean, I came, or I sent my princes with, with bags of cash. What? I mean, did you have to really think on this? Why didn't you come earlier? And, and then it says this, uh, Balaam said to Balak, behold, I have come to you. Have I now any power of my own to speak anything? The word that God puts in my mouth, that must I speak. So now he's in full recognition that, that God is in control here. And in fact, he's going to give these, uh, these oracles. And so, so Balak is going to actually set him up uh, on the plains there of Moab to go and to yell out curses to God's people. But whenever he opens his mouth, these oracles, they're only going to be blessings. And they're only going to be um, words that God puts in his mouth. In fact, I forget which oracle it is. I think it's the, the third one. He actually says that he's in a trance. So in other words, it's, it's not even like they're divinely inspired words, but they're also his words. It's almost like he just opens his mouth and God is the one who is speaking out. And Balaam fully understands that now. So he's even telling Balak, Balak, don't send me out because if you do, you're not going to get what you want. I can only speak what God is giving me to speak. And then in 39, then Balaam went with Balak and they came to this place. And then in 40, and Balak sacrificed oxen and sheep and sent for Balaam and for the princes who were with him. And in the morning, Balak took Balaam and brought him up to, okay, I'll, I'll pronounce this one, to, uh, to Bamoth Baal. So there you go, to Baal. And from there, he saw a fraction of the people. So they get up kind of on this ridge, this area here where they're able to see the Israelites. And then now we're going to go into 23, and Balaam's going to speak some oracles. And I'll move pretty quickly on this, but you'll see a pattern develop that, well, the king of Moab's wanting him to say curses, and all he can say is blessing. And it's, it's pretty remarkable. So, and Balaam said to Balak, built for me here seven altars, and prepare for me here seven bulls and seven rams. Balak did as Balaam had said, and Balak and Balaam offered on each altar a bull and a ram. So they're setting up seven bulls, seven rams, seven altars. Um, this, by the way, looks a lot like Judaism. If you recall all the way back to Leviticus, whenever they would make uh, sacrifices to God, he would call for um, a ram and a bull, and they would start off a feast or a festival with, uh, say, a burnt offering. I mean, just think barbecue here for a moment, all right? But the, the burnt offering would actually, the aroma pleased the Lord, and a barbecue pleases, well, a lot of people too, but, but this was a way to, to please God. And, and so what they're doing here actually looks a little bit like, like Judaism, like worship to not pagan gods, but rather to Yahweh, the true living God. Now, Moabites, they, had, they practiced something we call synchronism. Synchronism is, is basically that they were doing Judaism, but also with idolatry. And, and you can, so they're mixing these, these things here. And so they, they would have some practices. Remember, their, their ancestors, their roots go back to, uh, well, Abraham's family to Lot. But, but also, though, they would practice some of these things, but they also would worship this pagan deity uh, called uh, Kamash. And so, but what they're doing here is Balaam and Balak know 
Yahweh worship. And so they are setting it up as if it's worship to God, as if it's sacrifice to the true living God. Now, the purpose of them doing it this way is because they think that if we can do these things in this order, in this way, that, that that's what's going to summon Yahweh, the true living God. And then with that, we're able to manipulate him and put the curse on his people. And once again, Yahweh just does not work like that. So in verse 3, And Balaam said to Balak, Stand beside your burnt offering, and I will go. Perhaps the Lord will come to meet me, and whatever he shows me, I will tell you. And he went to a bare height, and God met Balaam. So once again, we have a conversation. And Balaam said to him, I have arranged these seven altars, and I have offered on each altar a bull and a ram. And the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, Return to Balak, and thus you shall speak. And he returned to him, and behold, he and all the princes of Moab were standing beside the burnt offering. And Balaam took up his discourse and said, From Aram, Balak has brought me. He kind of gives a little preamble of, of what the story is that we've talked about tonight. From Aram, Balak has brought me the king of Moab from the eastern mountains. Come curse Jacob for me, and come denounce Israel. How can I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? For from the top of the crags I see him, from the hills I behold him, behold a people dwelling alone and not counting itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of his upright and let me end, let my end be like his. So he's saying, how can I curse these people? And then he goes on and he says these things. And then Balak says to Balaam, huh? <laughs> what have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies and behold, you have done nothing but bless them. And he answered and said, must I not take care to speak what the Lord puts in my mouth? So Balak here is angry. Come on, Balaam, we hired you for this thing. And it's, it's like hiring an electrician to come on out, and rather than fixing it, he breaks it. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. It's frustrating, let me tell you. And that's what uh, Balak is saying. Come on, I hired you to do this. Why are you doing the opposite? And Balaam's response here is kind of interesting. He just simply kind of puts it back on God and says, well, God, or, well, it's just because of God. I, I can only speak whatever God puts in my mouth. So sorry, it's, don't shoot the messenger. It's not me saying this. I'm telling you, it's God saying this. All right, so we do have a question. So it says, are there differences between the seven altars? Do they mean anything between them or do they just not have meaning? Well, that is a great question. And by saying a great question is a fancy way of saying, I don't know. All right. <laughs> but I, I would say this. I would say a couple of things that I was thinking about as I was preparing for it, is that, I mean, seven obviously is a biblical number. It's a holy number. And seven comes up a lot throughout the Bible, but, but as well here in the Old Testament quite often as well. And so there certainly could have been something uh, related to that. Um, or it could also just be that in, in the tabernacle, which is what they had this time, and then later the, the, the temple, they just simply had, um, you know, kind of one, one main altar. And so, so my guess is that um, 
I don't know. At this point, I'm going to say that I, I think that they were just they were taking a holy number that they knew and just trying to make a really grand showcase. Because rather than just having one altar, uh, isn't it more impressive than to have seven? And again, they're thinking, they're just thinking that they can summon up uh, Yahweh in that way. And so um, I'm mainly going to land on this one with, with I don't know. I don't think there's a lot of significance to it other than that's just what they were trying out because they just thought that it was something that God wanted. Um, but note the Israelites did not have seven altars in that way. All right, so then, so Balaam's already supposed to say a curse as a blessing, and then now he's going to do it again. And I'll just kind of skim through this a little bit, and, and we'll see what we can pick up here. It says, And Balak said to him, Please come with me to another place from which you shall see them. You shall see only a fraction of them and shall not see them all. Then a curse, then curse them for me from there. And he took him to the field of Zophim, to the top of Pigsah, and built seven altars and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. So again, same playbook, different location. And then 15, Balaam said to Balak, stand here beside your burnt offering while I meet the Lord over there. And the Lord met Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said, Return to Balak, and thus you shall speak. It's interesting, every time that he is about to go and say, he has to first consult with the Lord. I think Balaam's a little shook up by now, understanding the power of Yahweh. And, oh, in 17, And he came to him, and behold, he was standing beside his burnt offering, the princes of Moab with him. And Balak said to him, What has the Lord spoken? And Balaam took up his discourse and said, Rise, Balak, and hear. Give ear to me, O son of Zippor. God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. He has said, and will he not do it? Or he has spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Behold, I received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot revoke it. He has not beheld misfortune in Jacob, nor has he seen trouble in Israel. The Lord their God is with them, and the shout of a king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt and is for them like the horns of the wild ox, for there is no enchantment against Jacob, no divination against Israel. Now it shall be said of Jacob and Israel, what has God wrought? And behold, a people, a lioness, it rises up, and as a lion, it itself it lifts itself. It does not lie down until he has devoured the prey and drunk the blood of the slain. Wow, <laughs> look at that. Blessing the Israelites, comparing them to a lion who's going to eat his prey, as in the Moabites. And that's what he shouts out. And we'll finish up with this last section here. And it says, And Balak said to Balaam, Do not curse them at all, and do not bless them at all. But Balaam answered back, Balak, did I not tell you all that the Lord says that I must do? So Balaam, or sorry, Balak now is saying, Wait, wait, wait a second. If every time you open your mouth you're going to bless these people, then just... Don't say anything at all, all right? If you're not going to say something mean to them, don't say it at all. And 
And so now Balaam is saying, well, once again, don't shoot the messenger. It's not me, man. I told you. I warned you. And so Balak said to Balaam, come now. I will take you to another place. Perhaps it will please God that you may curse them for me from there. Really? It'll please God to curse his people? This guy. So Balak took Balaam to the top of Peor, which overlooks the desert. And Balaam said to Balak, build for me here seven altars, prepare for me here seven bulls, seven rams. And Balak did as Balaam had said and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. And then next week, Pastor John will pick up and go into Balaam's third oracle. And then there's as well a final oracle. And then we're going to see actually, oh, I don't want to spoil it, but... Balak figures that, okay, he can't kill them with sword, and he can't manipulate Yahweh to curse them. And so he actually figures out a different strategy, which is idolatry. He can tempt them with idols and get them to start worshiping these pagan deities. And that's ultimately what happens, and that's ultimately what moves their hearts away. So it's actually, this book of Numbers ends in that way as well. But I just want to leave you with this. As we go into 2021, which again is only just a few days away, can anyone be more excited about a new year? But here's the thing is that this story here, there's so many things we can apply. I I mean, first of all, God's protection of his people and his ability to thwart man's plans. I, I mean, this is, we can read ourselves into this so much, can't we? But, but also what we see is we see this, this tension, this contrast between God's will and our will. And so as we go into 2021, just think about this path, the same path that, that Balaam was on. Are, are you on a path that's, that's going against God's will, or are you on a path that rather is, is for God and his will? And so I'll just simply leave you with that and let us pray. Dear Jesus, indeed, we, we do thank you for gathering us here tonight um, in the season and celebration of Christmas where we get to celebrate um, your coming, to celebrate your birth in the manger. And as well, God, as we get to spend just a moment here and, and, and look at this very wild story where, where you can take a donkey and speak through it to get Balaam's attention So too, Lord, there's so many things that you do in our lives to get our attention. And so we pray, Lord, that we can respond in that way, a similar way of confession, repentance, and and following and serving you. In all this we pray, amen. And as well, friends, may you go with this blessing tonight. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. Lord, look upon you with favor and give you his peace. And all God's people said, amen. Please rise.